Uh, this is the last in our series in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, about heroes of faith. We've been, I think, seven or eight weeks on this. Uh, as we've talked about a lot of different people, we've talked about Moses quite a bit, and we talked very briefly about people like Abel and Enoch, the people in Hebrews 11, right? And as the Hebrew writer does uh, in the end of chapter 11, we're going to end our series with a rapid-fire list. I don't know how many of these we're actually going to do, but in the text, he ends, or he, uh, the, the end of chapter 11 is just a list of both people, he, there is some mention of names, but then also just generic things that happened that we can sort of guess some of them, uh, who that may be referring to, some of these events that we'll talk about, and some of them that we don't know that for sure who it is, but yet still the events themselves are examples of this faith. So Hebrews eleven thirty-two 32 32-34, we did, I think, briefly read this last week, but I want to dig into it more tonight. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire, a uh, power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put armies to flight. Now, again, just a long list, and there is another half of this that we'll get to. As we're thinking again about this faith that has been described as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, the way that they, people of old received their commendation. We talked at quite length about co their commendation last week, this idea of it testifying uh, to their righteousness and their faithfulness. And this, just this list. Now, there's a couple of commonalities about this list and the next section that is in Hebrews 11 uh, about these people. Why these people? That's always the question, right? Why this selection of people and events? Now, we're not going to cover all of them. You're, we're very familiar probably with the story of David. And even if you're not, we're, we'll talk about David a lot in, in uh, just a congregational setting. Some of these people we don't talk about very much at all. Who, they, who are they? What did they do? We could talk about Gideon and Barak, who are judges. I actually uh, got... A couple of people requested going through the judges, so we may do that next year. Both called by God to save Israel, but both hesitant. Gideon, of course, they have the story of the angel of the Lord appears to him. Actually, we read about Gideon this morning. The angel of the Lord appears to him, and he, and he says uh, to save my people. And, and what does Gideon do? Ah, is it really you? Well, I'll put this fleece out. And if the fleece is wet and the grass is dry in the morning, then I'll know it's really from you. And he does that. But then he's like, well, well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe that was just a coincidence. So I'll put the fleece out again. And if the grass is wet and the fleece is dry, then I'll know it's from you. Very hesitant. Barak, similar, called to save Israel. But he doesn't want to go alone. In fact, he's called by Deborah. Uh, Deborah being the mouthpiece of the Lord in, in that story. And, and Barak's like, I'll go, but only if you come with me. And the end of that, both told the glory was not going to be for them. Gideon told, you have too many men. If you have too many men, people are going to think it was the, a military victory. You need less men. And we have the thing about them going to the water and how they drink. They sort of call the army, right? And the point of that is, I want people to know it's not you, it's me. That's what God is saying, right? It's about me. Barak told as well. You're Okay, you're going to, I'll go with, and Derek, uh, Deborah tells Barak, I'll go with you. But you need to know that you're not going to be the one that gets to defeat the enemy of Israel, Sisera. It's going to belong, that victory is going to belong to a woman. So both of these guys 
called to save Israel, both hesitant, both end up doing it, but both are told, hey, this is not going to be really about you in the end anyway. We can think about Jephthah. Jephthah is an interesting guy. He's born out of an adulterous relationship, uh, born to a prostitute, and then he's driven away by the wife of his father, right? So his father and mother, they're mar- or his father is married to a woman. His father's unfaithful. Jephthah is the result of that unfaithfulness. And the mom doesn't want anything to do with him. Understandably, but still, the mom is really cruel to Jephthah. I don't want you taking any of the inheritance away from my children. So she drives him away. He has to grow up in a harsh land surrounded by harsh people. Ruffians would be a really good word to describe the people that he's forced to grow up with. And so he's called by God, come save Israel. And you know what his first response is? Very natural. Why would I save you people? You people who mistreated me so much. If you wanted me to save you, why did you cast me out? But of course he's told to come and do it. And God tells him, uh, well, really the people tell him, hey, we'll, we'll celebrate you and you'll be welcome back. And, and he has kind of a bad attitude, at, bad attitude about it at the beginning, understandably again, but he does follow through, even though the people that he is saving, he probably doesn't like very much. The people that he's saying, he doesn't feel like he belongs to them because they cast him out. And yet he still follows the command of the Lord to come save Israel. We can think about people who stopped the mouths of lions. Who could this be? This can only be Daniel, right? Probably, almost assuredly, Daniel, who was forced to leave his home and serve a foreign king. The book of Daniel, of course, opening with that idea that they're all out of their comfort zone, right? They've been taken into exile. We've talked a lot about the exiles. Daniel's one of the prophets that takes place during the exile. And they're surrounded by all sorts of other people. And then, and they're trying to decide who's going to serve the king. And of course, Daniel and his friends stand out because they won't eat the same food and they won't do the same stuff. So Daniel is in this midst of this turmoil and he's not in his homeland. And he's surrounded by people who don't believe in his God. And he still maintains righteousness and holiness through his faith. To the point that when he knows, right, when he knows that there's going to be consequence for maintaining that faith, he still does it anyway. And he's saved by God stopping the mouths of the lions. Those who quench the power of fire, the same story, not same story, but the same circumstance. The three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Tebedwego, that's not it, Abednego, who were told, bow down and worship this idol, this king. And they refused, thrown into a furnace. And that fire, the power of that fire was quenched as they stood in there. And the people that threw them in even were burned up, but they just kind of stood there in the fire and that was fine because God protected them, right? And I have to, I have to, I have to, uh, I don't have to, I guess I do really believe that they did not expect that to happen. I don't think they thought that they were going to be thrown in the fire and be saved. I think they thought they were going to be thrown in the fire and die. And yet they were saved. Just like I think Daniel. I am not sure that Daniel knew he was going to be saved from the lions. Maybe he believed, had faith that he would be saved. Through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This could be so many people. Throughout the history of the Old Testament, so much of God's, uh, the history of God's people in the Old Testament is about conquering kingdoms and enforcing justice and becoming mighty in war. We could think about the, the story of Joshua, perhaps this is the story of Joshua, or perhaps the story of some of the kings or the judges, could be any number of them, who through their faith 
were victorious in battle. Even battles that they had no business winning, they were victorious because God was with them. The people who overcame these things did so because God helped them and not because they were so great. That's the point of what the Hebrew writer is driving at. Now, all of these people face some sort of challenge deep in their lives. We've got family struggles. We've got childhood trauma. We've got betrayal. We've got abandonment. We get to be at David, the struggles that he had. We, get, we have hatred. Saul trying to kill David over and over and over. He's in that list. We didn't really talk about him. The point is the people in this list didn't have things great. They didn't have things easy. These are people who had things very difficult. Who still had faith. And I would suggest their faith was strengthened because of the difficulties that they faced. They overcame because they trusted that God would help them. They believed, as the Hebrew writer says earlier, they believed that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The second part of this, not so much victory in this, much more defeat and struggle. Verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Some others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. We're going to come back to that phrase. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Women received back their dead. By resurrection. A couple of stories about Elijah, I think, in this text. The woman who gave Elijah the last that she had. A woman and her son living alone. Poor. On the brink of starvation. Elijah comes to them. And they give. She gives Elijah the last that she has. And of course she's rewarded by the never-ending jar of food. Man, that's a great miracle. Never-ending jar of, of uh, I can't remember the materials exactly, the, the stuff that she was using to make the bread. But then her son dies. Unrelated, totally unrelated. Not, not about starvation or anything. Dies of a disease. And she's bitter. And she's angry. Rightfully so. And she receives her dead back because she helped Elijah. And Elijah raises her son from the dead. She was in the midst of a circumstance where she was about to die. And her son did die, but she still helped through her faith. We could think about those who suffered in chains and imprisonment. I'm reminded of Joseph. Perhaps this is who the Hebrew writer is thinking about. Sold into slavery and later falsely imprisoned, yet in each circumstance he maintained his trust. He continued to obey he continued to do what was right. He continued to refuse to participate in the wickedness around him. That's the manifestation of his faith, right? Even though he's imprisoned and, and in, in chains and, and taken away from his homeland, and he still has obedient faith. They were stoned. Maybe Zechariah and several of the prophets, really, who, were, who proclaimed God's truth and were killed for it. Israel did not respond kindly to many of the prophets, as we've seen in our study of the minor prophets, yet they persisted in proclaiming the truth, even though they were killed in a variety of ways. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Perhaps this is Elijah himself, who just a few chapters after his great victory at Mount Carmel, my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, 
chased out into the wilderness all by himself, goes into a cave and basically begs to die. Because he feels so alone. And that's when he has this encounter with God who says, you're not alone. There's several thousand still who follow me. And he's provided with the food and the sustenance that he needs to endure. And even though he's at the bottom, he does through his faith in God, get up and try again. Because isn't that what this faith is about? Getting up and trying again. No matter what happens, no matter the difficulties that we have. We go back to the previous list. Jephthah, cast out and having to be raised by criminals. We could think about David, who committed a sin so bad that God exacted his son's life for the sin, who got up and worshipped after his son died. This is the point of this faith, that it doesn't matter what happens in our lives. Our past, our struggles, our sins, our temptations the things that happen to us over and over again, if we will get back up and try again. Because we believe that it will be better the next time. We believe that ultimately God will help us overcome. Maybe not in this life. Some of these people, you read this list, you're flogged, you're torn, in, you're sawn in two, you're stoned. They were killed by the sword. They did not overcome in this life. That's not what their faith was about. Their faith was about, if I persist in doing what God wants, I will eventually be rewarded. They believed that God existed and that he rewards those who seek him. So we come to, I think it is possibly, it's top two or three, my favorite line in the whole Bible. Of whom, I can't even say it. Of whom the world was not worthy. Think about what that means. For the Holy Spirit to say that you were too good for the world. The people in your life did not deserve you. That's what the Spirit is saying about these people. Because of their faith. The world did not deserve them. Did not deserve the good that they did. Did not deserve the faith that they exhibited. Now God deserved it. Amen? God deserved their faith. God deserved what they did. But the world did not. Because the world rejected God and mistreated them over and over and over. The world rejected the faith that they exhibited as the world does and will always do. I'd like to be in the list of people who fall under this, that God would say this of. I don't, I don't know that I am. Probably not. But this is something to strive for. To be the kind of person that God would say this about. Of whom the world was not worthy. Again, not because they were perfect. We know that they sinned all the time. They made all sorts of mistakes. But they got up and they tried again. These people had doubts and fears and hesitations and sins. 
Barak and Gideon barely even wanted to do what God wanted them to do. We talked about Moses this morning. Moses listed earlier in Hebrews 11. Moses who comes up with basically excuse after an excuse not to do what God wants him to do. People who doubted, like Elijah, doubted so much that he's willing to die. Just, let's be done, God. Let's just be done. Have you ever been at that point? Where you're just ready to die? I don't know. I hope you haven't, but maybe you have. You're not the first person. Elijah, who maybe top five prophets, if we're ranking prophets by order of importance, Elijah's got to be in the top five. Yet even he had doubts and fears and despair. Because that's not the point. The point is not that we're perfect. The faith does not make us perfect people. The faith helps us overcome our imperfections. Overcome the things that we struggle with. There's a common... Oh, I already said all these things. And we think about the things that they accomplished. Things that we would consider to be great. The things that he lists here, the taking, uh, conquering foreign armies and, and, and overcoming kingdoms and enforcing justice and all the things that these people accomplished that we consider to be so great and so awesome. And to be clear, they are great. Things that they accomplished are great. But God has not called you to accomplish these things. <laughs> He's called you to accomplish the greatness in your life. To be faithful in the things that you're called to do. To help the people that are in your life. To reach the loss that you know. You're not going to overcome a nation. You don't need to. You just need to overcome the lost. What is that? What's going on there? Nothing? Okay. Let's see here. I think I said a lot of this stuff. I want to go to Hebrews 11, 39 through 40. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That's a weird statement. Because he just said, through faith they received promises. He literally just said that like three verses ago. That they obtained promises. So what does he mean here? These, all these, Moses, Abel, Abraham, all the people that he's talked about, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That's a weird statement to make as you think about all the things that we've talked about over the last seven weeks, seven sermons, the things that they accomplished, the things that they did, and they did not receive what was promised. I think Abraham did, didn't he? I will make you a great nation. He became a great nation, but he didn't receive it in his lifetime. Moses, he, you're going to deliver the people of Israel. Yeah, you're, you're, you did that. But he didn't get to see the promised land. They did not receive what was promised. Even more importantly, looking to the future of God's kingdom that exists now. We've talked about this in the Minor Prophets over and over and over. I didn't plan to dovetail this, but it goes so perfectly. The Minor Prophets that continually look to the day of the Lord, right? The judgment that's coming, restoration of Israel. And they didn't understand what we understand, right? About Jesus and about the kingdom that's to come and about perfection and about the, the greatness of faith in Christ. They didn't understand any of that. They did not receive what was promised. Salvation and the knowledge of Christ. Now, of course, I'm not saying that they're not going to be in heaven. I think they will. They've, they've been 
united with God through their faith. But we have things that they don't have. It's easy to get hung up. We don't have miracles. We don't have inspiration. We don't have prophetic power. We don't have direct communication with God. All these things that happened in all these stories that we've read. We get hung up on why don't we have those things. And this is the reason. Because God has provided something better for us. What's the better thing? Well, it's not miracles, inspiration, prophetic power, direct communication. What's the thing that we have that they didn't have? Two things. One, we have the completed, full revelation of God. We know the mystery of Christ. That's it. That's the thing that we have that they didn't have. We know the whole plan of God. The whole story. We know how it ends. We know what's going to happen in, and how we're going to have victory. We know how the devil's going to be defeated. We know how all of the enemies of God will be punished. We know all of that. They didn't know. That should give us more faith than they had. That should give us more faith than they had. Because I know how the story ends. And I know that victory is certain. And I know that even if it doesn't happen in this life, that doesn't matter because our victory is going to happen in eternity. I should have more faith in God than Moses and Abraham and Jephthah and Barak and David. Because God has given me the better thing that apart from us, those people... I want you to think about this very clearly. Apart from us, David and Moses and Abraham will not be made perfect. And we think, what am I going to do that's even comparable to Abraham and David and, and Moses? What am I going to do that's even comparable to that? You're going to be faithful unto death. And you're going to do the best that you can to reach the lost around you. And you're going to do the best that you can to glorify God in the ways that you can in your life. And you're going to do the best that you can to raise faithful children and grandchildren. And you're going to do the best that you can to encourage your fellow brothers and sisters. That's it. That's all you're going to do. And you think, well, that's not so great. God obviously thinks that it is. God thinks that is better than what these people did. So when we have the excuse that I'm not good enough or I can't do X, Y, or Z or I can't glorify God the way that these people did, that's the devil lying to you. Because you can. Because you have the better thing that allows us to have the faith that they had and better faith than they had. So as we conclude this series, very simple question. What are you willing to endure for your faith? Embarrassment, ridicule, persecution. I very much doubt any of us will ever be sawn in two. But maybe. But sometimes I think it would be maybe easier to die for the cause. Because then I could just have a one-time thing and I could have this great pro proclamation of faith and I could have this great sort of moment and then I'd be dead and that'd be it and I wouldn't have to struggle anymore. I think sometimes that would be easier than I have to go to work every day and maintain holiness in a world that doesn't care about God and I have to raise my kids in a way that's faithful and I have to 
navigate all the complexities of family members who aren't faithful and the difficulties of my temptations and my struggles, the daily life of enduring because of my faith. What are you willing to endure? Because you believe that God exists and he rewards those who seek him. Do you want the reward? Raise your hand if you want the reward. We all want the reward. Nobody, of course everybody wants the reward. But what are you willing to do for it? I hope anything is the answer to that question. <laughs> to do anything that God asks of us. 